up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We're bringing you all the live guests. We're bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. What's up, party people? You in the place to be is the People's Party with your host, Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. Next to me is my lovely and talented co-host, always thoughtful, always thought-provoking, always funny. Give it up for Jasmine Lee, everybody in the place to be. Yeah! Yeah, yeah that's me, baby. How you doing, Jasmine? I'm quite swell. So in this show, we've had a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of trendsetters. We've had a lot of comedians. And I feel like when we have the comedians on, that's your favorite part. It is. I love the comedians. Yeah, comedians are always, always very funny. Um, today's guest is a comedian. Uh, she is a very, 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 very funny comedian. One of my favorite comedians. Uh, her comedy cuts like a razor, but is simultaneously big hearted. Um, you might know her for standard specials on Netflix uh, laughing to America, skinny bitch, live at the Apollo. Uh, if you're from the UK, you might know her from Mock of the Week or Lenny Henry's show. Um, she is working on a show right now called Bob Hart's Abishola. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the lovely, the talented, the intelligent, the beautiful Gina Yashire. Yeah! I, I, I love this because I wanted to make sure I pronounced the last name right. You got it perfect. I got it perfect. Perfect. Most people mess it up, but you Yashere. Did. You did well. You did well. <laughs> Just think Yashere. Yashere. Yeah. <laughs> but Nigerians okay. pronounce it much more aggressively. Okay. Yashere. That's how it's supposed to be pronounced. My name is um, Talib is, is Arabic um, and Kwali is uh, from people of the Akan. So it could be Swahili or, or, or people from Ghana or whatever. Um, so I understand growing up with an African sounding name. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not from my parents are not from any place in Africa. But, you know, I understand that. What was that like growing up with an African let's talk about just names first. Because okay. there's a lot I'm sure there's a lot we can unpack about being a black person growing up in a majority white country. But, well, yeah, my full name is Regina Obidakbo Ebua. Okay. Yashere. I mean, there's a lot of other names. Okay. <laughs> but like, because in Nigerian culture, all the relatives come when the baby is born and give uh-huh. their own names and their own meanings and add their own sort of. And, and what happens is your birth certificate ends up looking like a copy of the Da Vinci Code. So, like, <laughs> you gotta, so I, you right. know, my mum picked the three, the names, right. and I'm named after my grandmother, Abuwa. Right. Uh, oh, me I'm, too. I, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's it. Because I'm a, apparently I'm a reincarnation of her. When I came out, I had this birthmark. And when my grandmother died, I mean, it's a long story about how it's a beautiful birthmark. Thank you. People often think it was a tattoo, and because I'm tattooed, they all assume it's like a heart or a map or something. But so when I came out with this birthmark, uh, my mother was like, oh, my mother has returned. And so Ebua, I got the middle name Ebua. But mm-hmm. growing up with a African name in, in England, mm-hmm. when uh, we weren't cool at the time. You okay. know, the only images of Africans on TV were Tarzan movies where right. we were running around cooking white people in pots. Right. Or we were on hung, uh, hungry on television with flies landing on our face and mm-hmm. people going, please, please feed these poor. And right. these were the only images of Africans. Right. So being an African kid, in school it was not fun I got right. teased a lot and, and laughed at and called names and like in America you guys got uh, African kids got called African booty scratcher that's right in England it was African bubble African you know <laughs> spear chucker right, all right, of that right. kind it was a very similar thing and it's kind of funny because 
because of the miseducation. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have no. You know, a lot of uh, Caribbean kids and African Americans didn't know their history mm-hmm. because it was kept from them. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, I was brought up in England, so it was mainly mm-hmm. uh, descendants of Caribbean mm-hmm. uh, people who'd come to England. So it was other black kids were from the islands, Jamaica, Barbados, right. Trinidad. You know, right. So because they, their history was kept from them and that they didn't actually know that they were descendants of African slaves because mm-hmm. it was left out of the school That's curriculum. Right. Um, they didn't know. So they just, they were like, oh, we're not like you Africans, mm-hmm. you animals, you know, we're different. We're from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. You guys are animals and savages. And that was what I had to contend with at school with a lot of teasing yeah. from well, other black kids. There's those same hierarchies in Car- Caribbean culture because I grew up in a mostly Caribbean neighborhood. Was it, wasn't a lot of Africans, but there was Africans there. It was like... Um, you know, the Haitian kids, mm-hmm. they would pick on the Haitian kids right, right. and they would call them, say they have uh, HBO Haitian body odor, you know, and the same thing as African booty <laughs> right, scratching. Right, right, um, right. But did you ever feel some, I, I had friends who would sort of hide in plain sight and not claim being from Haiti. Mm-hmm. Oh you know yeah. Man? We all did it. Yeah. I did it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of African kids would go, you know, they, they try and anglicize their name. Yeah. So if their name was Ola, it'd be Ola. Mm-hmm. You know, Dele be D. Right. You know, my first name is Regina. Obide- uh-huh. Well, but for for the first sort of ten years of my mm-hmm. life, I was called by my middle name, which is Obidakpo, mm-hmm. which was shortened to Dakpo, mm-hmm. and that was my name at school until I was about eleven. But people laughed at the name, wow. called me Bus Depot, called me this, called me all of that. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to high school, I was like, Nah, I'm going by my first name, which is my British name. Because I was trying to hide the right. Africanness, mm-hmm. and you know, African kids used to lie and about where their parents came from. Yeah. They'd be like, "No, my mum, my my dad's American." Because America, everything America was cool. So right. my dad's American, and I I lied all the time. I used to go, "Yeah, my mum's not African. She's from." Cameroon, which is an African country, <laughs> but, it, but it, they spoke French there. So it right. sounded a little bit less African. Shout out to my man, 88 yeah. Keys. <laughs> Parents is from Cameroon. Right. He's going to be on the show. So, you know, we all did it as kids. We right. all did it. We all tried, you know, but I, I did it too. I, when I got to high school, my name went, uh, became TK. Yeah. Call me yeah. TK. Yeah. And um, then when I started my rap career, I reclaimed my name. Yeah. But yeah, I it was, it was a thing of, you know, it was a thing of indoctrination. I didn't realize back then. I thought I was just making it easier for everybody. Yep. But I understand really what I was doing. Well, exactly. And, yeah. you know, but my mother was super Nigerian, super mm-hmm. proud of her culture. So I couldn't hide it for too long because when it come to parent-teacher conference, <laughs> <Right>. my <laughs> mum would turn up in full African costume, <laughs> all the gold around her neck, like wearing the, the equivalent of a small country's GDP around her neck. You know, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? So there was no wow. escape in my Africanness. Right. So in the end, you know, when I left school, I was just like, you know what? You know, I, this is the name I go by, but I'm going to claim, reclaim my Africanness. That's right. be, you know, when I started doing comedy, I just went, I came out kicking the doors down, going, yeah, I'm a Nigerian. Right. I'm, because when I started doing comedy, a lot of the comedians were Caribbean. The black comedy mm-hmm. scene was all Caribbean comics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their jokes was at either white people or Africans. So mm-hmm. it was like <clears throat> the African stereotypes of <clears throat> wearing shoes and no socks and being ashy and all this kind of stuff. Oh. So then I was like, you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to do my jokes poking fun at Caribbean. So I'm right. going to bring, I'm going to come from a different perspective. And that's how I came out in the comedy scene, claiming that. Did you feel like when you were in school that you got teased more from the black kids or the white kids? Oh, yeah. I definitely had more issues at school with other black kids than white wow. kids. And white kids would stand back and, and they couldn't understand they couldn't what was understand, going on because yeah. we were the same to them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, that's the yeah. science right there. Yeah. yeah. That's the science right we're there. That's black. how you know it's real indoctrination because 
they all look into white kids is looking at it like <laughs> it's just crazy. They probably yeah. were laughing like, "Y'all yeah. are all niggers to me." That's yeah, right. And, and and the same thing followed me into my work life. Mm-hmm. I used to build and repair elevators mm-hmm. for a living. I'm a qualified engineer, and I worked for Otis, mm-hmm. and I was the first British first woman engineer in Britain in their hundred year history. Mm-hmm. So not only was I was like, the first female engineer, I was black too. Mm-hmm. And I came in a lot uh, higher qualified than most of the white engineers. So they resented me from day mm-hmm. one. So I, I, yeah, I went for a baptism of fire. They'd mm. openly call, talk about the N-word and right in front of me. They'd, I'd come into work and pictures of monkeys and bananas oh were hung God. above my overalls. But I was like, you know what? I know you guys are trying to drive me out, but I'm going right. to stay here and I'm going to prove that I'm as good as you guys. To You know, I'm good enough to be here. But... I half sort of a year into the job, I was working on a, a, a building site and a black guy came to work on the site. And I was like, thank God, mm-hmm. you know, me and him are going to, you know, we're going to be a, a force against all these racists. Mm-hmm. He's going to have my back. I'll have his back. And he came on the site and nope. Nope. Whoa. He sided with the white guys and goes, oh, I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not one, I'm not African with big nose and big rubber lips. Right. I'm kind of being, we were, and this was why, company man. Yeah, wow. this is why I hate him to this day. Cause he was like, <laughs> our people were rescued by the white man. Are you serious? We were rescued. Wow. And that's why I don't have big rubber lips and a big ugly nose like wow. you don't. And he was doing that in front Stockholm of my, my wow. white, white counterparts. And then they were laughing at both of us. Right. Cause now they're weaponizing him against you. Yeah. So yeah. I'm f- arguing and screaming at him on site and we're getting, you know, and in the end, I'd, after two weeks of that, I was like, you know what? I look and I see these white guys laughing at us. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to say another word to this yeah. dude. I'm cutting it off because I'm not going to have right. them laughing at both of us. And right. I never spoke to him again. Wow, right. you had to be really strong working there. Yeah, I mean, I lasted, I was with that company four years. Four, four years? years? I was there. Um, yeah. You often speak in your comedy about how ignorant Americans can be about where black people live. Mm-hmm. How yeah. black people, we, we, we don't understand, and not just black people in America, but Americans in general. Yeah. Have never, don't understand that London has black people there. Yeah, I mean, black, America is very insular. Mm-hmm. It's very insular. You have, because, you, like, I read a statistic that, like, 75% of Americans don't have passports. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's still the case. I read that a few no, years that's ago. Right. But, like, so not many Americans have been outside of America, and mm-hmm. all the information that they consume is from American media. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first came to America, I went into, what's that? Uh, there's a bookshop at the Grove. Borders? Barn, barn, oh, Borders, Borders or Barnes & Borders was a big one. Right. I yeah. went to that mm-hmm. bookshop. And that's I went, how I know that you're not from America, because you went to the bookstore when you got here. Yeah, I went to the bookstore. <laughs> I was looking for some good books. Right. That's, not and, America, um, but that's why I ain't no more Borders. Uh, <laughs> we went to the bookstore as like a family trip. My mom went. As well, a that's family, why you're here as a family yeah. trip. We did. It's it a like, yearly like, vacation. Our, not trip, not trip, not trip. Sorry, mommy. Our, like our weekend activity, we would go to Borders and read all the books. Well, that's what I'm saying. It was right. a, I'm a, I'm a book oh reader. But yeah, I went to Borders and I went to the world section. Mm-hmm. And the world section, every book was about America. That's right. There was no world. So it's, I wouldn't say it's the fault of the Americans. It's the fault of the institution, the country, right. the way it's been set up. So a lot of Americans have no knowledge of other countries, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that the man and the movie industry, if you look at a movie like Notting Hill, mm-hmm. black people hated Notting Hill. Right. Black people in England hated that movie. Right. Because oh. Notting Hill was a black area. Right. 
in the, the 40s. I did not know that till just, just now. I Me neither. Everybody yeah. there looked like Hugh Grant. No. Just, 40s and now. 50s, uh, when the Caribbeans uh, were coming to the UK to work, invited by the mm-hmm. British government mm-hmm. to help rebuild the country after the, the Second World War, they, could, they couldn't get rent anywhere. Nobody mm-hmm. would rent to them. White people would not rent to them. And Notting Hill was full of very large houses that were owned by slumlords. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of black people navigated to that area because that was the only places they could... Uh, uh, rent that people would rent to them because it was owned by slumlords. Slumlords, a lot of black people lived in Notting Hill. Right. That's why the Notting Hill Carnival, which is similar mm-hmm. to the Labor Day Carnival, mm-hmm. that's why it's there. Have you have you ever been to Notting Hill Carnival? Not. Okay, it's basically mm-hmm. the same as the Labor Day Carnival. Mm-hmm. It's a massive carnival, well known around the world. All Caribbean, the floats, the music, all of that. Mm-hmm. Originated not originated in Notting Hill because that's where black people were. Mm. And then um, there was several riots, uh, a riot in, I think I'm going to say the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. can't remember the exact, where white people decided they didn't like black people in Notting Hill. And there was a riot, the skinheads used to go over and attack people. And so there was a riot there mm. and again in the 80s. So it was a black area, mm. but then it became gentrified. And then basically as the area became rapidly more expensive, black people were pushed out. Mm. So then when you watch the movie Notting Hill, you you know, right. it's, it's not hard to mistake just, it for wow. a white area because the only black person in that movie was a security guard. Right. It would be like filming, making, you know, do the right thing and having Justin Bieber play Radio <laughs> Raheem. It's that's, just ridiculous. That's how I felt when I saw the movie Brooklyn, you know, which is about the Irish experience in Brooklyn, which I'm sure it's a very valid and fair experience. Yeah. But it's just not my experience. Yeah. You know, or like the movie, and shout out to my man, Justin Timberlake. Um, but I have not seen the movie he did recently that... He, like about Coney Island, and it's white people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, no one's seen this movie. If I have, it's like making Black Panther <laughs> with just white people. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> if, they, if there were white people in Coney Island, then all the rides would probably work. <laughs> Shout out to Coney Island, one of the hardest neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Um, I love Coney Island. I love Coney Island. It's uh, crazy that you say because I was one of the Americans. I don't have a passport, and also you I didn't, still don't have a passport. I buy me one. The country. Live. Come Leave on the now. Country. See the world. I, I, I'm a starving artist. I need. Right. A, I need a passport. Well, you're gonna go with me. I'm going to London next week, and you're gonna come with me. Oh my God, I'm ready. All right. Get your passport ready. I didn't know that there were like a whole community of black people in London until I moved to South Florida and I met this guy who was a was Jamaican, but he was from England. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, my whole family lives out there. And I was like, what? How? Like, I was like really <laughs> in shock. Well, people don't realize that, that slavery was a worldwide yeah. phenomenon. America Global. was not the king of slavery. Mm-hmm. In fact, the UK, the Europeans were the worst. I, I, you said, I say they did it better. You said they, they, they England is the best at racism. Yeah, they yeah. are the best. I mean, the uh, the sun never uh, sets on the British Empire. Exactly. I mean, you, what what I what, how I do I do a routine about it where I talk about how the British and the Europeans as, mm-hmm. as a rule were better. Um, Americans did the equivalent. They stole black people from Africa. They brought them to America mm-hmm. and work um, and forced them to work on plantations within the United States. Mm-hmm. What the Europeans did and the British did <laughs> right. specifically is they they stole black people, but then they didn't bring them to England. Right. They had them work on colonies in the Caribbean. Mm. So and that's where the Caribbean people come from. Mm-hmm. So they did the Americans did the equivalent of stealing stuff like stealing shit but keeping it in your own house. Mm-hmm. Whereas the British stole shit, but kept it in other people's houses. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you'd gone to England and gone, hey, you stole African people, they'd have been like, but where? 
uh, where was um, the evidence? No, I didn't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, right. and that's where uh, right. Af- uh, Caribbeans, you know, the black people in Brazil, you know, Portuguese, the, the mean, sp- yeah. Spanish, they the spend the money with the Queen on on the, on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In the All the black people yeah. that are spread out for Europe, mainly descendants. Mm-hmm. Of people stolen from Africa, and that's why you get all. That. And then, obviously, when when the UK needed rebuilding, mm-hmm. and 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 they needed jobs done that white people refused to do, they went to their colonies, mm-hmm. wow. you know, and said, "Hey, come to England. We'll provide a better life. Come and help your queen and country. Mm-hmm. Come to England and help us. And you know, you'll have a much better life mm-hmm. to raise you know your kids, whatever." And black mm-hmm. people came in droves, and then they got there and discovered the whole thing. <laughs> was was bullshit. <laughs> right. Um, I actually love uh, Nigerian culture. Right. Um, I feel like uh, Fela Kuti oh, and yeah. the music, the Afrobeat oh, yeah. music, got me to really love Nigerian culture. And I named my son Amani Fela. Oh, wow. Shout out to Amani Fela. Um, you know, I've been to Lagos a couple of times, filmed videos out there. Um, talk to me a little bit about the range in stereotypes, because some people... All stereotypes are bad. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't like even if you say all black men have big penises, that's a bad stereotype. Yeah, you know? it's based on you know sexualizing, yeah, men. sexualizing yeah. the black man and, and animalizing him. That's really. exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it's based. That's on. exactly right. So the, the Ni- Nigerians enjoy a wide range of stereotypes, <laughs> right? From everyone is rich, yeah, and you know, especially when you're in America, uh, you have a lot of Nigerian families who uh, in order to have their Children come here and, you know, they work hard and they make mm-hmm. a lot of money. And, and so people assume every, every time they see Nigerian, they think everybody's Nigerian. And then you have this, the stereotype of the email scammers. Yes. Right. Yes. Talk to me about the sort of, uh, you know, just break down some of these stereotypes. Well, the Nigerian stereotype of everybody being rich. The, the thing is, uh, to get out of Nigeria mm-hmm. and just to get into America, mm-hmm. you have to have a certain stature mm-hmm. in Nigeria because right. it costs money. Yeah, it costs and it's money. one of the poorest places in the world when you go to yes. Lagos. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. I'm from New York City, and I thought, growing up in New York City, you feel like you know cities. And nah, nigga, not, <laughs> no, that's a fucking city. Yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah. a vast metropolis, yeah. and you've got a small percentage of super rich Nigerians, mm-hmm. but a lot of us are living in poverty there mm-hmm. but it's it's like any city in the world you've mm-hmm. got your haves and your have nots mm-hmm. but the thing is when the, when you Nigerians in America tend to be the highest performing and most successful mm-hmm. uh, immigrant community because the type of Nigerians that get out of Nigeria are usually coming from money because mm-hmm. <clears throat> it costs money to go and get your visa grease those palms Mm-hmm. that you have to grease to get mm-hmm. those visas. And then to, to show a certain amount, America's not letting any Nigerian immigrants <laughs> right. in unless you can prove that you're not going to be a drain on the system. So right. you have mm-hmm. to have a certain, either a certain amount of money or a certain skill set that is coveted mm-hmm. in those countries before you can get out of Nigeria and get into those countries. Mm-hmm. So you tend to get more, the not the cream of the crop, but the most affluent mm-hmm. and most educated of the Nigerians who tend to get out and come to different countries, go to England mm-hmm. to study or go to the, the, anywhere else in Europe and go to America. And so that's where that stereotype comes from because you're seeing our most wealthy and affluent and highly educated Nigerians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they are not representative of the entire country. I mean, it's a great representative. I'm not knocking it. Right. But there is a lot that's more exactly to right. us than that. There's We're more. diverse people. We, yeah. can be, we can be brilliant and beautiful and we can be stupid and ugly. We can mm-hmm. be exactly. all those things. Exactly. Yeah. And then the same with the scammers. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we every community has their criminal element. Mm-hmm. You know, in America, you got people that like to cut people up and wear their skin. Right. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, we, we you are have the king of, of, of crazy serial killers and all that. Like, yeah, we got that on lock. Yeah, shooting up schools, guns, shit like that. You, you guys are number one in yeah. gun culture. Number one. I just number didn't one. hear we were learned for cutting up people and wearing their skin. Like, wow. Listen, <laughs> that's why they see us outside. You need a passport. You know these things. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Every community has their criminals. Right. Act, and, and as is, you know, we have a small percentage of people that are very good at scanning people. Right. You know, and I'm like, well, it's crime, right. yes. Taking but you respect money from the gullible a little bit. Yeah, you I, said they I deserve it in your stand-up. You said they deserve it. <laughs> well, I'm saying, uh, <laughs> if you're gullible enough right. to send your life savings mm-hmm. to somebody you've never met, mm-hmm. right. what they do is they play on your greed. Mm-hmm. That's oh, what man. they're doing. They play on your greed. I mean, I've, it's so funny. I had right. a Nigerian try to scam me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a Nigerian try to scam me many years ago. I was trying to sell a phone on eBay. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like 300 bucks. And I got this email. And this guy was like, listen, uh, I need this phone. I really want your phone. I'll give you $600 for it. Just send it to this address. Here's a money order, whatever. And they, that's what they do. They play to your greed. Mm-hmm. And I just emailed him back. And I was like, I don't know if you <clears throat> looked at the name on the. the whatever, <laughs> but that's a Nigerian name. Don't try it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, do you watch Nollywood films? You know what? I used to go <laughs> I go to Nigeria and I pick my mum, watches them all day long. Mm-hmm. I used to sit and watch them with my mum. I mean, it's a huge industry and it's hilarious, but some of them are just so can, funny. Can you bad break down, funny, good funny, can bad you, funny. For people who have never seen uh, a Nollywood film or not even aware that there's this industry in Nigeria of these films, which... I, the funniest one I haven't sat through a whole one but the funniest one I've seen was this one oh, there was one about there was one about Drake and Meek Mill's beef no yeah, way there's a Nollywood film <laughs> really about, and there's a Nigerian I Drake I need to get versus oh my God. a Nigerian Meek Mill and oh, then there's wow. a Nigerian Nicki Minaj in it wow. that's causing a beef between them oh I have to see that yeah that sounds hilarious <laughs> I mean there's a whole we have our own Stars. We have our own industry making uh-huh. our own movies That's in right. Nigeria. And it's a huge industry. And um, it was based mainly on DVDs before because mm-hmm. I used to go. That's right. I, I, when I, you know, I'd go and I'd, I'd buy hundreds of DVDs and bring them back for my mum because mm-hmm. my mum would sit and watch those movies. Right. And she loves it. She was like, you know, watch, watch, watch. Right. She, she's going to do juju on her and then she will die. <laughs> and then she will raise up from the dead. And then she will die again. And then, so my mum gets into all that stuff. Yeah, and we got that's a huge... That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's, and exactly that's basically what it is. It's a Nigerian yeah. version of that. And it's yeah. a huge industry. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've harbored thoughts about trying to be a Nollywood movie. But... <laughs> This you should do one. and this look, I don't even. No, you should I, do one. I went to Nigeria and I don't fit in with Nigerians. Nigerians were looking at me like Nigerians never actually believe I'm Nigerian. Funny right. enough, I've been like, and they go, so I meet Nigerians and I go, oh, your name is, you know, uh-huh. Bola. Oh, okay, there, you're a twin. You're, you're, you're about your night. And they're like, yeah. how do you know this? How do you know this? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm Nigerian. But, you know, I was born in England, but right. my parents are Nigerian. You're, Niger- you're both of your parents. Yeah. <laughs> the two of them. Yes. <laughs> the man and the woman. Yes. The mother and the, you know, they just never <laughs> believe. That I'm Nigerian, I have right. to prove it every time. Because obviously I was born and raised in England, so mm-hmm. I haven't got the mannerisms. I'd, and then another problem with Ni- Nigerians and Africans in general, giving birth to children outside of, uh, of their home country, they try, to, they try to get their children to assimilate and they then don't teach the children the language. Mm-hmm. And that was a mistake my mother made. She mm-hmm. never taught us the language. We were very Nigerian in every other way. Mm. The food we ate, the clothes we ate, uh, we wore when we went to weddings and parties. Right. You know, all of that. 
that. The beatings, very Nigerian. It was all very Nigerian, <laughs> but she never taught us the language. Right. She wanted us to be British. You know, right. she wanted us to avail ourselves of all mm. the opportunities that were available as a British person. So, and that is a mistake that a lot of Africans have made, whereas Indian kids spoke their language at home and English at school. Greek kids, Cypriot kids, you know, Arabic, they all spoke their languages, mm -hmm. but not so much because mm. we were, you know, Nigeria was colonised by the UK yeah. and that colonial thinking is very much embedded mm -hmm. in the older generations. The queen of country. Yeah. Speaking of your mom, and also my friend Chinadu, he doesn't know Nigerian either and he's clearly Nigerian. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of your mom, I heard a great line that your mom said when somebody told you that you could be an actor. What did she tell you? Oh God, yeah. So look, my mom, look, when you, when you're an immigrant and you have your kids in a different country, you want your children to get all the opportunities. And there's only a certain number of jobs. They pick the kind of vocations for their kids that they feel will provide the most stability, security, money. So in an African family, you got, you know, you only got a few choices of job. Doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, disgrace to the family. Those are the choices. <laughs> so, you know, as a young kid, I was right. very, I was a storyteller. I was a class clown. I was always trying to, you know, entertain people in mm -hmm. class because that was how I let off steam because my home life was so rigid and disciplined. So I'd come to school to let off steam. I'd be mm -hmm. like, ah! And so I was a bit of a performer. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, a, a drama teacher saying to me, you know what, you, you should be an actor. You should be in entertainment, you're mm -hmm. that, you know, you've got something. And I remember her, she made the mistake of trying to tell my mum that at the parent-teacher <laughs> conference. You know, Gina should be, and my mum was like, acting, act. I tell you what, she can act like a doctor when she becomes a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of that discussion. Right. Hilarious. That's brilliant. I asked my mom why she never tried to make any of us doctors, like she didn't believe in us or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, America's that whole... Do you have a dream? Live mm -hmm. the dream. You could be an individual. You can be whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, you can. But immigrants ain't got time for that. We don't. Right. Have, we've come here to do. You know, with a work ethic, we come to succeed. We ain't got time for dreams. We need to get that paper, no and doubt. we need to build for our kids. You know, and that's right. how it is. Um, let's talk about comedy a little bit. Oh yeah, and the it. difference differences between uh, traditional British humor and American humor. And um, did you watch Benny Hill growing up? I did. I All watched, of us did. Everybody yeah, did. To, right? Yeah, it was a massive show. Um, you've never seen Benny Hill. Why you gotta? I know I've never seen Benny well, Hill. Well, I can't. <laughs> I can't blame she's you. Younger than, she's younger. Yeah, than. I can't blame you. It was a show that was on in the eight. I mean, I think he showed ran from the seventies and eighties. It ran forever. right? Oh, yeah, it was I very slapsticky. Mm -hmm. It was, I and mean, if you look back at the sketches, it was mm -hmm. very sexist. Very sexist. Very. He was just grabbing on women. Oh, just grabbing us. Just, just running, grabbing, grabbing tits, just, That's just that was that's exactly grabbing what the humor was. Yeah. Just, it was an old British dude. Old dudes. And you doing uh, you doing an impression of an old British dude trying to pick up. A young woman in one of these specials as well. That seemed like some Benny Hill shit. Hey, love. So, all right, love, come on. Come on. What? Come on, guy. Are you right. lesbian? If you don't want it, you don't want this. I fucking have it. You know? yeah. And that's, that was the attitude. Right. And that it's was that, the attitude yeah. on television. That's, you know, it was a different time. Mm -hmm. That comedy would never pass right. today. But at the time, it was slapsticky and everybody laughed at it. Right. You know, uh, Racist uh, comedy on TV was mm -hmm. a thing that everybody laughed at. Mm -hmm. I remember my mum laughing at a comedian called Jim Davison, who mm -hmm. was big 
mm-hmm. on television in the UK in the sort of 70s and 80s. And he came from that old working man's club mm-hmm. comedy scene. So there was a working man's club where it was all white comics and did jokes to only white people. And mm-hmm. it was very racist. They mm-hmm. do jokes about wogs, which is what they call black people, oh. wogs and coons and packies, which is what they call right, right. South Asian people. And they got away with that. And this guy came out of that scene and made it massive on television. Mm-hmm. And uh, he never used those words, but he used to do a character that he called Chalky. Mm. Chalky, as in chalk on a back. But it was a, a Jamaican character. So he'd come on TV and go, oh, yeah, my mate Chalky. Oh, what I say? Mm. Was it do, blackface as well? Yeah, it was. Oh he didn't God. do it in blackface, but it literally it was. was yeah. like, he'd do this black Jamaican. And it was a terrible. But everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. And even my mum used to laugh it. And even as a child, I'd sit. They're going, there's something not right about this. Mm -hmm. Because then I'd go to school. Right. And then the white kids go, there's the consequences. You know? And so, but that was what television comedy was like Mm. in England because that was the time the television, as it's still today, still ruled by white middle class men. And that was what they thought was funny. That's right. You know, times are changing, but not fast enough in my Mm -hmm. book. Now, what about when Eddie Murphy. And he's not the only one to do this, but certainly this is the most famous routine when he does umfufu. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just based on these, oh, you know, it just, it was cringeworthy yeah. to me. As an African kid, mm-hmm. it was cringeworthy because p- kids would make up names. Mm-hmm. Is that your name? Mm-hmm. And it was all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that just exacerbated it for me. Right. And, and, and as a kid, an African kid at school, then those jokes would then be replayed mm-hmm. At my expense. Mm. It's crazy. You don't realize it because it's like now that I'm here and I'm like, wow, yeah, that probably isn't something that we should be laughing at. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with all due respect, and we have two comedians here and I'm a fan of comedy. Yes. With all due respect to the great, legendary Eddie Murphy. Crib. All due respect. There is a conversation to be had around Raw. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I don't okay. know where everybody f- falls on that. And I don't think this is the time to have that conversation. But there I mean, is, look, it was a fa- it's a, it's a it's, wonderful not the special. only thing. The, the umfufu thing is not the only thing you can go no, back. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, was, it was a wonderful <laughs> special yeah. for its time. Yeah, for its time. It was a wonderful special. You have to look special. at it in that lens. Yeah, it opened up the door for black comedy Absolutely. and the fact that a black guy could become a megastar mm-hmm. and sell out a movie. Just a calling movie, his a stand-up comedy. It was amazing. Yeah. And... I still look at it that way. It's right. still an amazing special and mm-hmm. I never take it. But obviously when you look at it, it's full of homophobia and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. You know, you open it with faggots. You know, you, right. you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was a wonderful special of its time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he wouldn't do that same special right. now. Absolutely. And you have to, you have, yeah, you have to box it that was what was in at the time and that's what everybody was laughing at. I watched that special and laughed. Yeah. And I'm LGBT, I'm gay. I'm black. I'm an African. I still mm-hmm. laughed at those jokes, mm-hmm. you know, because that was funny at the time. Right. And you know, you got to be able to laugh at yourself. That's right. But yeah, some of the stuff you wouldn't laugh at now because it was it was punching down. Right. What do you guys feel about it being on Netflix now, though? Because I I watched it. I mean, on Netflix, and I laughed at it, and I did feel bad for laughing now because I once you know better, you're supposed to do better. But it's like, do you feel like it still should be on Netflix as people need to see that? brilliant art of work or should it not be on there at all because it's just so hurtful to so many people these days that's a great question you know that's a hard one because it was such a wonderful special and it's so and look we can see how comedy has moved on Mm -hmm. so I don't think we should bury the 
achievements yeah, of I, black I, artists just because, you know, there's yeah. so, you know, D- Disney's got a whole load of Jungle Book. I mean, everything yeah. if you watch some of the st- the original cuts of these movies, you're mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, the Netflix thing for me, that's a hard question because I, I, I view it from two very distinct lenses that don't yeah. always... Uh, yeah. intersect. It's a hard one. And one is a social justice activist lens, right? Mm-hmm. Where in my social justice activist mind, I'm like, no a company like Netflix, you, like you grow up, you shouldn't provide a platform for that type of stuff. But me as an artist, mm-hmm. as a working artist, as an entertainer, and as someone as a, who, who, I have a, a, a reverence for, I love comedy. I love the art of it. I understand what raw means historically for comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So me as someone who's an artist, who understands comedy, who understands the place of that special in comedic history, and I'm like, it ha- has to be. We have to have access to it. I mean, if you want to, you could put a warning up saying this is <laughs> special. Might be triggering. Contains, <laughs> contains misogyny and homophobia. Mm-hmm. Watch at your own, you know, right. discretion. And it, and it, then it that, ages better than, because I don't see them putting up old Andrew Dice Clay specials yeah. mm-hmm. and he's still respected very much in the comedy space yeah. um, because I think comics recognize that whether you agree with his jokes or not he was sort of doing a character and doing a bit but it, his stuff doesn't age the way that Eddie Murphy stuff yeah. does yeah, you know? still quote I mean the ice cream joke it's like still well, that's one of what I'm my saying, favorites you know mm-hmm. I mean the ice cream one the the the, <clears throat> the, uh, the McDonald's hamburger one there's stuff in there that is 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 good clean and wholesome but Eddie Eddie flipped it when he on the SNL thing when he said like who would have thought that I would have been the guy doing family comedies and Bill Cosby <laughs> would be in jail, in jail. <laughs> shout out to Eddie Murphy yeah right because you don't even well I didn't know about Raw until I was an adult and went back and watched it I knew oh, Eddie Murphy from family comedies Dr. I watched Google it as a stuff. child Listen, I, I must have been the age that Bud from Cosby Show who was in Raw right the age he was in that movie doing the the uh up the tree jokes. That's the age I was when I saw that movie. Oh, so it was that massive scene, in England. That scene resonated with me because I felt like, I remember watching that scene like, they let that little kid say that? <laughs> or, like with all them people, all them adults in the room and they, because I was the kid's age. So I was like, no, kids can't say that. And those jokes, I, when I remember being in junior high school and we used to just, in junior high school, we used to say them jokes every day to each other. We used to repeat that mm-hmm. special to each other. Yeah, I mean, some of the comedy was lost on us because we were in England and we're like, mm-hmm. But we got most of it. Mm-hmm. The ice cream stuff. You know, the faggot stuff, we didn't have that word in England. That ain't that's no very, McDonald's hamburger. That's a, yeah, and, and our burgers were different. Right. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's was not the same as your McDonald's. Wait, right. y'all had Because when Softy? I first came, we had McDonald's. No, y'all got the fried apple pie still. Yeah. We don't got that no more. Yeah, when I first came to America, mm-hmm. like came to New York in, I'd say 1990, mm-hmm. and I had that McDonald's baked apple pie it's so good <laughs> no but you you've never had the fried one I went back I, I don't think it's I have disgusting. you've never had the fried one uh, it used to be the fried one and then America got woke and then we did the, the baked one but in England you can still get the fried one yeah I, just, I, don't, I don't be going to McDonald's obviously yeah. you do I used to yeah I'm, I'm involved in my I life I mean though. I read uh, Fast Food Nation and that was the end of McDonald's for yeah, me that, but yeah I read that too that vacation mm-hmm. we I must have eaten about 80 of those apple wow. pies we used to just try we travel just to eat to get those because we just didn't have them in England. It was right. just everything was different. Right. Um, now speaking of English comedy and black co- comics and comedians coming to England, uh, Lenny Henry, you were on a Lenny Henry show. I did, and um, I've never seen the show. I never right. heard of the show until right. I researched you. Right. I'm sure it's huge. It sounds huge, and the impact of Lenny Henry from what I was able to research sounds huge. Yes. Um, he made a comment later in his career uh, f- about 
feeling like England was hemorrhaging talent to the United States in terms of actors. Indeed. Now, Sam Jackson, on this legendary actor, made a similar comment uh, talking about he feels like actors are losing out jobs to British actors. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on this? I stand on the fact that if there was... S- if it wasn't so limited the amount of work that black actors are getting, we wouldn't be having this the discussion. Amen. You know, right, right. we wouldn't be fighting over crumbs. Mm-hmm. If if we were getting the same opportunities and the same breadth of characters to play mm-hmm. as white actors, we wouldn't be fighting over this. As far as I'm concerned, uh, us black actors, we need to stick together. Black performers, we need to stick together. We're all African, as, uh, really. Mm-hmm. We're all, wherever, wherever we come from, the Caribbean, or, or we're Africans that were born in England, mm-hmm. Africans born in America, it doesn't matter. It's, for me, the best actor should get the role. Now, I understand his argument, but when you look at it, African-American actors have been playing our African uh people for years yeah. how many african-american actors have played mandela all of them mm. exactly <laughs> like fishburne played him exactly Morgan Freeman Morgan played him. everybody stop making mandela movies and, 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 and we never complain i we think never... matt damon played him in one movie <laughs> <laughs> that's a good actor matt damon. <laughs> but that's the thing we as africans we never complain about it mm. we you know even when the accents were off even when the it was mm-hmm. it was off we just were happy i mean that, coming I, to america how many africans was in that movie Exactly. <laughs> but we never complained. Right. We were like, look, they're talking about us. At least we're out. We're right. in the discussion. At least we're, right. you know, and at least. Our icons, sure, we'll go with that. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> and that's, that's the, what we But now to- it's the tables are turned. Right. And it's like, come on. Right. We're, let's share the work. Whoever's best to play the role, as long as they do it justice and they do a good job. Who cares? Why are we fighting over these crimes? Mm-hmm. What we need to be doing is fighting against the general mm-hmm. racism of the industry. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's crazy because that is what we need to be focused on. And that's the same thing kind of as you were talking about when you're working in the elevator and you and the other black guy were going against each other instead of tackling who's the problem because we shouldn't have to be fighting over crumbs. Exactly. Um, How would you describe British TV humor versus American TV humor? I mean... The market has opened up so much with streaming and, and uh, people taking more risk. But a lot of the comedy, the really good comedies that you've had on American TV, have been copied from British shows. Oh. The Office. The Office, going way back, even, yeah. what's the show? Uh, the, is it Red Fox back in the day? What was that show? Oh, Sanford, Sanford and Son? Sanford that and Son? That was a British show. I didn't know that. Me neither. That was a British show. It was a show called Stepford and Son. Wow. And it was two white characters. Mm. Well, at and least they we got the something. Sh- yeah, and they bought the show. Yeah. <laughs> and they bought the show. Over. Wow. And then there was another white show. I can't remember the name of the American version, but there was a show about a white guy who used to go off. A, he was kind of racist and he'd go off and he had a black neighbor. All in the family. Right. That was also a British show. Oh, wow. So a lot of your comedies, that, your iconic American mm-hmm. shows have actually been copied from British shows. Mm. Um, so we're, we're kind of ahead of the game in the humor in that way. Right. In that way. But... It's so funny because as a comedian starting out in the mid-90s, I felt like there was more work in the UK for black actors in the 70s mm-hmm. than there was in the 90s and, and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they had a lot of race-based sitcoms in right. the 70s on UK TV. So you'd have the black neighbour, the you know, live next door to the white neighbour. Right. There was a show called Love Thy Neighbour. I and mean, then when you watch it, it's immensely racist. Right. But black actors were working. Mm. You know, they were working right. and working a lot. And, you know, I don't know whether they got equal pay to the white actors, but they were. we had a whole generation of black stars from mm-hmm. the 70s 
which kind of fell off in the 90s. Mm. Wow. I used to watch a show. I, I, I want to say it was called The Desmond Family. Oh, Desmond. Oh, the yeah. Desmonds. That was a big black sitcom. That was like in the 80s, right? Yeah, that was in the 80s. I used to watch 90s. that. It was like on some channel. Random. I, yeah, some random. But I remember it's like a, it was a Jamaican family. Yeah, it was a huge sitcom. Mm. But the, the, the British industry has this, I call it the nightclub policy. There one a, in, one out. There's an actor on it who was a young man who the first time I saw him was in Guy Ritchie's first film. Robbie G, probably. Yeah, a dark-skinned, bald yeah. head. Robbie G, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. used to like that show. Yeah, he's an actor. Because comedian. me coming from Brooklyn uh, in large Caribbean community, that show felt like very, very familiar to me, even with yeah. the London accents. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, they had a nightclub policy, one in, one out. You right. never got lots of, it was Desmond's. Mm -hmm. And then it was over. That's still now. And then, you know, it was a struggle as a mm -hmm. black performer to mm -hmm. get on TV. And when you got on TV, you were always the token on mm -hmm. other people's shows. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a million white guys on TV. One white guy fell. I was like, oh, well, let's try him in this. No, mm -hmm. that didn't work for him. Oh, well, let's try this with him. Right. But, but with us, it was like, oh, that that show didn't work. Right. See, black comedy doesn't work. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And that that was how we we're always right. judged. It was very hard as a black act to get right. your foothold in right. the door. And that's why a lot of black actors and black comics are leaving and coming to America. Over here. I mean, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's any less racist. Right. The glass ceiling is just higher. It's just higher. It's Do you know what I'm saying? When I hit the glass ceiling in England, I mean, because I was I'm pretty well known in England. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. one of the biggest. You selling out houses? Yeah. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm one of the yeah. biggest comics in the UK. Yeah. And definitely one of the top black comic. You know, me and Lenny. Absolutely. And a few others. Yeah. Um, but I hit that glass ceiling. Mm. So. I come to America, glass ceiling is a lot higher. At least mm -hmm. when I hit it, I'll be a multimillionaire. I won't be crying so that's hard. Right. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> you know, it's another show that started over there, Shameless, one of my favorite shows that yeah. started over that there. That was a UK show. Oh, I love Shameless too. Yeah. It's ending too. A shameless and a shameless has been on for like seventy years now. Well, they ran it way past the British show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, they the they, they we take shit and run yeah, to shit to the they, they you, you guys have. I love those first two seasons at Office. Yeah, um, I, I I watched them over and over again mm -hmm. before they it got picked up by NBC. Right, right. So when right. it got picked up by NBC, I was like, I'm not watching that. Fuck <laughs> that show. And then I about four seasons went by, and they won some Emmys. And people started talking about it, and I went back. And when I went back, I fell in love with it. It became one of my favorite shows. Right, right, right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the British press. Okay. Oh. Um, this is something I saw. <laughs> I saw a um a tweet recently, and it was like a guy, a British guy, uh, a right wing guy. Who's who? Who's the right wing guys? Is that the the Tories? Everybody, yeah. The okay. conservatives. The conservatives, right? The, well, I call them the conservatives. The conservatives. The Tories, right? Yeah. The Tories. <laughs> he, this guy was like, he was in Greg's, right? And he's he's tweeting from Greg's. Oh, is he? Yeah, who's and he was that? like, who is that? And this this is a random guy. This is a okay. random guy. And he was talking about this vegan sausage rolls that they sell at Greg's. <laughs> and he was very upset at these vegan sausage rolls. <laughs> and he was like, these fucking Vegan sauce or whatever the equivalent of fucking is in, in his... Fucking. Fucking, okay. I just want to say, it's so hard for me not to do my no, accent. No, please don't. I'm not doing right. it. Oh, I'm God. just I'm working really tries hard. To do a no, 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 no. But she has a whole horrible. character that she does. And we had Estelle here and Estelle was telling her she can't be doing it. <laughs> but yeah. I've been discouraged from doing it. Yeah, I, I think I saw that. Yeah, don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy was, he was in, what was, what was fascinating about this tweet is he connected vegan sausage rolls to terrorism what? to Blexit, right? And he was, and 
to Brexit, excuse me, I'm confusing y'all with Candace Owens, um, <laughs> to Brexit, and he was very upset about, and, and to Meghan Markle. He he connected all of them and somehow wow. because she, I saw a headline, we were talking back upstairs where, you know, the way they treated Kate Middleton is very different than the mm-hmm. way they treated Meghan and they would have a, there was a headline that said uh, connecting her liking avocado mm-hmm. to her uh, depleting the rainforest. And Kate Middleton liking avocado too. Oh, she see, you know, she needs those omegas for the, the baby. baby. Right, it's so wonderful. Oh, it's right, a, the treatment of Megan has just been disgust. I mean, from the day that she came out on Harry's arm, mm-hmm. black people knew this was going to be a problem. We were mm-hmm. like, we're happy. We're like, oh well, they're going to mix up the royal family. This will be good. Right, right, right. Not that she's the first black person in the royal family. She is far from it. That's right. Queen Victoria's grandmother was mixed race. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about that. But it was. I was like, great. But you know, she's going to get it. Right. I mean. Look at the headlines that came out in the UK press when she first came out. They were trying, she's black, she's from Los Angeles, therefore she is from Compton. That was a headline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Megan is almost straight out of Compton. That was an actual headline wow. in a British newspaper. Mm. And you're telling me that this coverage has nothing to do with her race. Mm-hmm. Then there was another headline about her exotic DNA. Mm-hmm. There was another headline about, oh, from, from picking cotton to the royal house. Wow. You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just, the coverage was just offensive. But we were not surprised by it. We're not surprised by it. And then when she, she you know, when they got married, it just got worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they were trying to pit her and Kate Middleton, who's William's wife, against each other in the papers. Oh, she's so pushy. Uh, one uh, TV uh, host in the UK used the word uppity. Mm. Uppity! Mm. This is on the, on te- on the right. British television and you should know the connotations of that word. Right. When the baby was born, another celebrated radio and TV host put up a picture of a white couple holding a chimpanzee. Wow. Mm. Disgusting. And then tried to claim it was nothing to do with their race. Mm-hmm. It was just that the whole royal media circus. And I was like, when I think oh, circus, that's, I that's think clowns. Like, I, I gotta, I'm elephants. sorry, I kind of have respect for that reach. I'm not, I, <laughs> that I didn't excuse. expect that one to go there. Oh, because it's, it's monkeys, because it's a circus. No. Yeah. Ha! Yeah. I remember that headline. What the fuck? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. And, and that now that they've taken a step back, all the media is like, how dare they? Mm-hmm. How dare this foreigner... Mm-hmm. Leave England, which is what we want anyway. How mm-hmm. dare they? <laughs> and I was like, look at all the head. Look how you've treated this woman, mm-hmm. how you've vilified this woman. Mm-hmm. Of course she's They were complaining that she got up too early in the morning. There was one complaint. She gets up at 6 a.m. <laughs> firing emails to her staff. Right. What wow. a pushy, arrogant woman. And I'm like, right. really? If she'd been getting up at midday, what mm-hmm. would those headlines have been then? Right. right. I she'd have been a lazy chimpanzee. She's lazy. <laughs> she's running on CP what? time. Right. In the, well, the exactly. Royal she can't. She just couldn't win. Somebody who was very instrumental in pushing some of this negativity and vitriol uh, was Pierce Morgan. Penis Morgan. Penis, Penis Morgan. Morgan. Um, he's been doing this type of thing for a minute. He's like, you know, he's like a gossip monger. He's a troll. Yeah, he's been it's, trolling it's for a minute. pure and simple. You he got into it troll. with him online, right? I got into it with him a couple mm-hmm. of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an interview that Megan did where she was talking about how hard she'd found it to adjust to the British press. Mm-hmm. Press, because her friends had warned her, mm-hmm. you marry into the royal family, the UK, this is, the UK press is the most insidious 
racist, classist, they're going to destroy your life. Mm-hmm. And then she did this interview and she was talking about how difficult she'd found it. And Penis Morgan did this whole <laughs> tweet. Um, Boo hoo. Right. And then I tweeted back saying, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, constant vitriolic abuse, which right. is disguised as criticism. You cannot tell me this is this is racist. This isn't racism. That's right. You cannot tell me that, and right. you should know better. And you're bullying. Mm-hmm. You use your seven million followers, and you're constantly mm-hmm. haranguing her. Mm-hmm. And you're saying this is, you know, you're. And then he came back with, "This is ridiculous. This has got nothing to do with their race." And then the same thing again mm-hmm. when they decided to step back from their duties. He wrote this whole piece about these ungrateful blah blah blah, wow. and then I got into it again with him on Twitter. I'm just like. You know, it, this right. racism is bound to break somebody's spirit. You and me get into it with the same people on Twitter. Often. Oh, God. <laughs> we were supposed to talk about Are we not, that. We're not going to talk about <laughs> I'm not going to talk about I'm talking about Pierce Morgan. That's what okay. I'm talking about. Oh, we can okay, talk yeah. about Pierce Morgan, right? Yeah. We, we, we could, well, we could talk about the, everybody else. What was the other later. thing? Uh, we'll talk about that later. Oh, well, well, we're going to talk about the show anyway. So yes, we're, we're going to we'll, bring that up. We will cover but, but it anyway. We, yeah, we'll we cover it. We don't have to give anybody any... I'm trying to starve props. people. I'm trying to starve people of oxygen. That's what you've got to do on Twitter. Yeah. When they start trolling you, mm-hmm. I make up, I, at first I, you know, sometimes it's sport to me. I'll uh-huh. go in there and go, yeah, yeah. But then I go and then I'm thinking, I'm giving these people oxygen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I by, do the exact opposite. Yeah, by responding <laughs> to them, I'm bringing, I'm shining light on them and my right. followers. And then I'm like, why am I giving these people air? No. And then I yeah. just, I cut them off. See, my, my philosophy off. is always, and I respect that because t- some people can be triggered and sometimes yeah. you don't have the time and I respect it. But my philosophy being that I'm privileged enough to have the time to do it. <laughs> he always has the time. Yeah. Is that I shame the devil all the time. My philosophy is like, hey, everybody, look at them. <laughs> but anyway, Pierce Morgan. Um, it's funny because a lot of his tiffs online or him explaining why he's not racist because of some things he said. My, my thing with him was he um, was very upset because he wanted to say nigger really badly, mm-hmm. you know? And this is a thing with sometimes with white people and the N-word um, is that, you know, they somebody like a Pierce Morgan, his thing is like, look, I'm here in pop culture. Um, I hear it in the rap songs. I hear black people calling each other nigger all the time. Why can't I say it? I really want to say it bad. Now, I'm paraphrasing, and this is my interpretation of his argument, but I feel like it's a fair interpretation. I feel like, yeah, when I I say that, I have to frame it in that way because I don't think someone like Piers Morgan understands that that's the argument he's making. Mm. Uh, But I wrote an essay called uh, Nigger Please. (laughs) Uh, You can find it on Medium. I want to see that. Yeah, it's about about Pierce Morgan and his going at him. Yeah, these people don't understand. It's all about context. Mm. It's all about the oppressed taking a word that is used Mm -hmm. to oppress them and flipping it. Mm -hmm. It's for us. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, it's how it's used and it's used. I mean, I'm from England. We never use that word. Mm. Now, the younger generation... In England, because mm-hmm. you've got all the new rappers, the storms, globalism, the skeptics, globalism. They, they, Everybody they, says nigger now. Yeah, uh-huh. they're now. But <laughs> my generation, right? We never used it. And you know, I used to do a joke about it. That in England, if I heard the word nigger, I knew that I could punch somebody in the throat. Right. Yes. Because throat. it was. It was. Yeah. That's a, a license. Because it was. I knew I was being denigrated. So mm-hmm. I heard nigger. Oh, great! You said nigger. Great. Right. I have license to knock you out. And see, this is what it goes like. My generation, we use it. Yeah. And my son's generation, my children's generation, the white kids use it. And it's just disgusting. (laughs) You know, and that's because they all, you know, we're a melting pot, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and rap music has helped Mm -hmm. to spread that narrative Mm -hmm. because they will, the music, you know, you can't sing a song. You're trying to edit yourself while you're rapping Mm -hmm. the song, you know, and I can understand that. But 
they got to educate themselves. Yeah, why, yeah, do yeah. We, why do we have to keep educating yeah, you on what? Go and study, read a book. Being a non-racist is work. Yeah. And people just don't, are generally, Generally, don't want to do work, you know. Yeah, I'm tired about talking it is, about it. I'm just tired of talking about it. I can't help. I have to, mm-hmm. but I, it's tiring. Mm-hmm. Constantly trying to explain to what, and then they go, "You're a racist," and then that's the "You're a racist." <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh, so by bringing up racism, that makes me a racist because I said the words white and people right. in a sentence. I'm right. now a racist. Racism is is not logical, Ugh. and so people try to apply rules of logic to racism, and they'd be like, "Well, how could I be racist? I like black." comedy or I have a black wife or I like hip hop is like you're assuming that racism is a logical thing to do that a racist would be like I have this illogical thought process where I think white people are superior but with every other aspect of my life I make completely logical decisions that's ridiculous Andrew Jackson was a racist they still you know right. people own slaves and had sex with those slaves mm-hmm. that's not logical that's not logical <laughs> that doesn't mean they're not racist just right. because they right. bed with black it's just the whole thing is just ridiculous. It's crazy because you were talking about how the newer generation and they're saying nigger and they're saying that they can't edit themselves in a song. If I'm if I'm rapping a song in front of my mom or my grandma and I'm young, I'm not going to say the curse words. I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, and go on about your business. That's the it's, it's so easy to say that way in the club. And I think we talked about before about whether or not rappers should stop saying it as much because, you know, they're giving people clock back. Well, I can't say the fucking word. Damn it. They're giving people excuses to say it. And mm-hmm. it's crazy because as rap gets more and more popular, then people are feeling like, oh, I can say yeah, this I mean, no, I, I don't I think mean, that's a good We've got to take responsibility for the, the misogyny in rap. We've got to take responsibility yeah, think, for that. I, I don't the, think, yeah, the, I, I, think, you know? I think misogyny, dealing with the rap, uh, 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 showcases rape culture. Yeah. Sometimes in positive ways. The homophobia. Rap, yeah, all, all of it's in there. Um, we have to, but, to me, we have to take responsibility as a, as a community. I think when we're talking about punching down, for me, and I, I, again, I'm biased because I'm an artist. I think it's punching down to so, to put that on the artist as if the artists are the community community leaders. We do have a privilege and we do have a responsibility, but I think it it comes with the amount you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of rappers are little kids themselves. You start mm-hmm. out rapping when you're 16 years old. I'm not going to expect you to like be Martin Luther King and know how to, you know what I'm saying? And at the, day, at the end of the day, as an artist, not everybody wants to be a role model. You mm-hmm. just want to be yourself and do what you want to do. I don't think that everybody should, you know, be constantly, you need different types of music. You need, as, as in general white music, there mm-hmm. are different types of artists mm-hmm. and you pick. But... It is a problem within the rap community that there's a lot of that going on and they're giving excuses yeah. to people to you my, to, to do that. Like you, I like the point you were making about things that you can't say in front of your parents. My daughter is a rapper now. All right. And she's a rapper on Instagram as oh, well. Oh, wow. So sometimes, you know, I've gotten to know her music through her Instagram page because she don't play me every song. <laughs> <laughs> because and your dad. That's right. And I, I sometimes I see her doing things and I hear her doing things. And, you know, she's of age now. So it's not like I could be like, yo, you're not allowed to do that. You know, but I'm like, whoa, what are you? But are you it's funny. Yeah. She she did a, a made a film recently, and a film where she took all her friends on a hiking trip. They all contributed money. They all went hiking, and she's filming. She has somebody filming her, and the guy asked, "He said, uh, uh, why did you uh, make this trip happen, Diani?'" And she was like, she looks in the camera. She goes, she's showing me her film on her laptop. She goes. To get all my motherfucking niggas out the motherfucking hood. Oh, fuck. Right? And then she looks at me. She goes, Dad, I am so sorry <laughs> for cursing like that. And I'm like, no, babe. No, no, no. But what she was saying. I said, I said this is a lesson. This is a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Don't, in public, don't say or do things that you wouldn't say or do in front of your parents. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to really think hard about 
would you would you say that in front of your parents? Well, now you're at the age where you have to decide whether or not you're going to say, I'm getting my motherfucking niggas out the motherfucking hood in front of my parents. And you know what? I applaud you for getting your motherfucking niggas out the motherfucking hood. Because <laughs> that's, that's what exactly what the fuck you should be doing. Yeah. And that's how I judge my comedy. This is how you know as a comedian if your material is racist or not. If you're talking about a specific group of people, mm-hmm. if you feel uncomfortable doing that material in a room Mm-hmm. Full of those people. Mm. That's it. Your shit is racist. That's it. Oh yeah. That's you know it. you got all these white comments. You know, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm edgy. I can say nigga. Why not? Because everybody else is saying it. That's it. Go to fucking Compton mm-hmm. and go to a black room mm-hmm. and stand up in front of that, that room full of black people and do your jokes. That's mm-hmm. right. If you get out of there alive, that's a great. Point. Then your shit is fine. And that's how. <laughs> and that's how I judge my comedy. I talk right. about everybody in my comedy. Yeah. But I'm also self depreciating. I talk about mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between these white comments and the, and the, and the black comments. You know, I will talk about myself and my own shortcomings, mm-hmm. but then I'll talk about the. I've been to China. I will talk about Chinese people, and from from what I've seen when I've been to China, and I will talk about it from a place of experience. And I've done those jokes in China in front of Chinese people, mm-hmm. and that's how I know whether my stuff that's flies right. or not. You know, I would never do a joke about a group of people unless I've tested it with them first. That's right. And so that's what if everybody goes through their life doing that then maybe <laughs> the world would be a I much all, better oh, place. I hope all you white comedians that are using your comedy Look at her look at direct, it, directly at, at the camera. Oh, listen, yeah. because they're using their comedy yeah. and they're they're you being racist but saying it's comedy. Do what you just heard because that's, right. that's that that would make me feel a lot better. Yeah. You know, they can do it in front of their trendy white audiences yeah. that think they're being edgy. That's right. No. Do that in front of me. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you whether your shit works or not. Do you know <laughs> right. what I mean? They're, right. They're doing it in, in their little cushioned spaces right. where away from the danger of actually saying that to the faces mm. of the people they're denigrating. And so they're cowards mm. to me. I, I agree. agree. Um, now, one thing you said that I thought was hilarious was you said as a Brit, you used to laugh at American politics uh, until Brexit proved <laughs> that the UK was no better. Um, can you give us the black and obviously you don't represent all black British people but speak to us about how Brexit how the black community felt generally about Brexit generally I'm gonna say I mean look it's it's a hard one Mm -hmm. because there are some black people that may have voted Right, absolutely. For it. But only because... I mean, there has to be a British Candace Owens. She started Blexit. And Diamond and Silk, there's a British version, I'm sure. We were were fed misinformation. Mm -hmm. And if you're not taking the time Mm -hmm. to look behind that information and do your own research, you're going to vote based on that. And the whole Brexit phase, but the whole Brexit thing was was not based on European economics. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was based on xenophobia, Mm -hmm. racism, we want to keep what's ours, get, mm-hmm. you know, get those in an otherizing people. And that's what it was based on. That's what people voted on. So most black people knew mm-hmm. what was happening. Because you can see by the headlines where they were going. Mm-hmm. You know, these migrants, migrants, migrants. My, every headline was that. Right. So and America is make yeah. America great again and build yeah. a wall. And, and, you know, it's yeah. all a sort of a, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's funny. When Trump came in, I was almost happy. Oh, no. i tell you why. <laughs> i tell you why. Okay. When Obama was president, everybody sat on their laws. We got a black president. Racism is over. Oh, yeah. People, we are now a post-racial society. Stop banging on about racism. Right. Shut the fuck up. We got a black president. Mm-hmm. It's all over. People asked me what I was going to rap about. Yeah. Now that racism is over. Yeah. Like, interviewers would ask me that. <laughs> well, that's it. So Obama's president, no ma- and even though the horrendous abuse, I mean, I 
equate the treatment that Megan mm-hmm. got in the royal family. They called him what, uppity what, too. Yeah, and with what yeah. Michelle. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was showing her right. arms and. Oh, God, it's the same thing. So, but they were like, oh. It's a post-racial society. You've got a black president. Stop complaining. Racism done. But So everything... So black people... It was like the racism was bubbling under the sea, under the water. Mm-hmm. You could see it. You could see the racism. Black people could see it. White people couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. We could all see it still bubbling along mm-hmm. under the sur- mm-hmm. surface. So when Trump came in, it was like the tide pulled out. Mm-hmm. And everybody could see what black people have been talking about mm-hmm. forever. So you see the ocean floor. Everything yeah, so we can see game. everything. All its shit, all its dead fish, all its rotten plastic bottles, right. everything. It's all there right. for everybody to see. So in a way, it's horrible. It's been terrible. But... It's a wake-up. It's a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, even with all this impeachment stuff going on, I'm still not sure that he ain't going to get another term. I'm not either. He has a good shot. Positive thoughts, he's got a good guys, shot. He's not, he's not going to get another term. Look, like, let's not even speak We that. live... In Los Angeles, in New York, and San Francisco, which are pocketed left-wing, mm-hmm. forward-thinking, woke-ish people. Mm-hmm. The majority of America is not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The majority of America still believe that everything on Fox News is true. Mm-hmm. The majority of America still believe that everything that's being, that they're being told in the newspapers is true. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's those people that are pushing what the narrative is going to right. be. So I and, would not be surprised if he got in again. And I'm even if he it. loses, he could still win because he lost the election, the yeah. popular election. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Electoral College put him in. So yeah. he has a, he does have a good shot. I mean, you know, the racists have been unleashed. Yeah. You know, th- these racists who were scared to say what they really thought in public and kept yeah. that shit quiet. Now they've been like, ha ha! Yeah. Trump, Our king has arrived. He, um, and they call him king. They call him God. Yeah. Trump retweeted neo-Nazis 75 times on the campaign trail. No one reported on this because the, the scuttlebutt at the time was he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. But then he won. And then they got in Charlottesville and they marched in publicly and said Jews will not replace us and blood and soil. And then they murdered a woman. And the next day he was like, it was very fine people on both sides. Yeah. This is a this is a, a very beneficial relationship on both sides. Yeah. He has Stephen Miller in there. He got Steve Bannon in there. Well, Steve Bannon left, but he was in there. Um, But... Speaking of that type of racism, uh, you were on a show, popular show called Mock of the Week. Mock of the Week, yes. And you said, if I was still in England, I'd be the token blackface on Mock of the Week. For people who don't know what Mock of the Week is, because we don't hear, tell us what that is and what did you mean by that statement? So Mock of the Week is a panel show. Mm -hmm. It's a panel show which is hosted by a comedian called Dara O'Brien. And they have different comics come on every week Mm -hmm. and... You know, make, it's called Mock the Week. So you're mocking the mock week. The week. Okay. So you're looking at the news of the week and, okay. and making jokes about what's been happening in popular culture, in politics, or whatever. And that's the basis of okay. the show. And uh, it was very white male dominated. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of, you know, it's England. A lot of white male comics get the most opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I was booked. So when they were accused of being sexist and racist and not booking enough other comics mm-hmm. the BBC used to come back go, no we, we booked Gina we, right. no, Gina's been wow. on the show 18 times whatever it was It was a, I, I was the most booked black comic and most booked female comic mm-hmm. but that's because I ticked so many boxes they're like we need we need to make we, made, we need to sort of stave off these racism mm-hmm. uh, you're like a two threefer yes yeah, so, you know, we've got a black woman lesbian fit and parents. let's get her on yeah. and so I was they were booking me for the show a lot and I tend to find, find myself when I lived in England as a comedian mm-hmm. that's I tend I tended to find myself in those situations a lot where I was the only black 
or the only woman or whatever on that show. So I was mm-hmm. filling these quotas. And I'm good at what I do. Let's not get it twisted. I'm fucking good at what I do. So they mm-hmm. got everything in that. Not only was I the diversity fill, I actually came and brought my own. Mm-hmm. So they bought me a lot. But then it got to a point was like, well, when am I going to get to host this show? Mm-hmm. When, when am I going to be the bride and not always the bridesmaid on these mm-hmm. white guy mm-hmm. shows? And so then I, I stopped doing the show. The last okay. couple of times I was on it, people were hitting me up on Facebook and Instagram going, you look like you don't want to be there. So, mm. and I was like, okay, it's starting to show. Yeah. <laughs> I need to move so on. I stopped. And, you know, and then I, by that time I was like, you know, England, I'm never going to make it here. I'm never mm. going to make it here because I'm not, I haven't got that palatable look. Mm-hmm. You know, when they when they want to put forward black comics in the UK, it's a very palatable. You have to be a certain look. You've got to be a certain demeanor. You've got to be not too threatening. Mm-hmm. And I was none of those things. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was never going to get elevated to mm-hmm. the status that I, you know, the, that was becoming of my talent and my experience. Because mm-hmm. there were guys that had come through with me that used to open for me and then went on yeah. to become stadium filling comics. And these were guys that opened for me. So I was like, this is... I need to get out. Mm-hmm. I, I'll either stay here and become a bitter, angry person, being jealous of the newer comics coming through and getting opportunities, or I take my skills elsewhere right. and and take a risk and just go, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go. So, you know, I'd been a fan of America since I was a kid. Right. I'd always wanted to live in America since childhood. I thought mm. you had, you guys had better candies than us, better toys, better bikes. Not better chocolate though. Better chocolate, no. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like chocolate. chocolate. No, you don't have chocolate. You have brown oil mixed chemical stuff. And that's <laughs> not real like chocolate. You don't like a Snickers bar. I've but heard the you, candies were I've better. heard you bashing American chocolate Your, before, chocolate, your chocolate is disgusting. <laughs> that's the only reason why I'm not 300 pounds because I'm a huge fan of chocolate, but I don't eat American okay, chocolate. Okay. And that's the only reason why I'm not fat. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd always wanted to come to America. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let me go to America. You know, let me see if I can, you know, hold my own amongst all these amazing comics out in the States. Mm-hmm. You know, because we've been watching all your stuff. Right. We've been watching all the comics. You know, we used to get the, the the bootleg DVDs of Deaf Comedy Jam and all that kind of stuff. So You were the first British comedian on Deaf Comedy the Jam. The only British the only comedian hello, on only, Deaf Comedy Jam. The first and only, people. Yeah. So you're a you're a lesbian comic, yes. whatever. Up until some months ago, I was a lesbian comic too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the family. I'm. Still we hired family. her because she ticked all the boxes too, and then she <laughs> left the box and then off. She flipped, and then I got a boyfriend. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, like I know when I first started comedy, like I was really like, you know, stressed out at first. I'm like, oh, do I have to be the voice for all lesbians? And, you Mm. know, do I have to, you know, fight the good fight and make sure that my comedy is just, you know, pro everything? Like, did you feel that way or do you run your career that way? Oh, yeah. When I first started out in comedy, I was firmly in the closet. Mm. Firmly. Oh, okay. Firmly. Um, I didn't look like this when I started out. (laughs) I had long, straight hair and, you know. um, Because... I was not, you know, look, with the society at large, the LGBT community has not been fully accepted yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm black as well. And I'm African. And my, my mother is very Christian. So, you know, because of the colonialism and the, mm-hmm. you know. So all of that made me ashamed of who I was. So when I started doing comedy, I was like, there's no way I'm talking about this. Mm-hmm. And also starting comedy as a woman and a black woman in a white male dominated industry, I was like, I've already got two things against me. Mm. I'm not going to add a third. Mm. Right. So let me just, let me just get really good at this 
and build up my name. And then if later on I want to come out, I come out. And that's how I did it. And that's how a lot of people have done it. Mm -hmm. Wanda Sykes didn't come out till later in her career because it was just, you know, we had enough going against us. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, I concentrate in a way it helped me and in a way it hindered me. Mm -hmm. It helped me in a way in that I had to concentrate on doing I mean, I was still going out with guys at the time here and there. So it's like, I've, I did try the penis. <laughs> I did partake in the penis. But I had to try and do different material that wasn't about sleeping with men, right. dicks, all of that kind of stuff. Because I, it would have been lying. Mm-hmm. So the first six to eight months of my career, I was doing that stuff. And then I was like, come on, this is not really me. Mm-hmm. So I needed to look at material other than that. So then I concentrated more on my culture, Mm. being British and Nigerian, where I come from and and doing that stuff. So it made me stand out from all the other female comedians because I wasn't doing that kind of material. So it helped me in a way for the first sort of eight to 10 years. But then it got to a point where I was completely omitted in an entire section of my life Mm -hmm. because I was closed off. And, you know, I didn't come out until after I got to the States. People knew. You know, I had mm-hmm. girlfriends, all my friends knew there were rumours all about me in England. <laughs> and whenever I do interviews, they'd ask me about my sexuality. They'd go, so what are the, about these rumours? And I'd go, I ain't saying yes or no. Right. If you're telling me I'm not funny, then we're going to get into an argument. But I don't. Right. But who I'm sleeping with is nothing to do with my comedy right now. So don't ask me that. None right. of your business. Right. But then it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm just going to do this. I am who I am. I'm making my own career. At this point, I'd moved to the States. Uh, I was making my own specials because I was like, I'm not waiting for Netflix. I'm not waiting for Showtime. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make my own specials. So I was putting my money, taking my money, saving my money, booking mm-hmm. the theatre, selling those wow. tickets myself, pounding mm-hmm. the pavements. Like my second special, Life into America, was made in San Francisco in this little theatre called the Brava Theatre. And nobody knew me. Mm. So I was flying out to uh, San Francisco every week, pounding the payments, giving out my flyers, doing as many radio interviews as I could to fill out this theatre. And I I hired a crew and made my own special. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. Three specials. I made them myself. So I was doing my own thing. So I was like, who am I scared of? Mm -hmm. These people ain't giving me specials. They're not giving me anything. I'm going to be who the hell I am. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I was like, you know, I'm going to just start talking about my own life, whatever. Take me or leave me. And, you know, there was always a fear because uh, the first audience that really embraced me in the UK was the black British audience. Mm-hmm. So there was always that fear that they... Disown you. Yeah, they disowned me when I came out. But then they didn't because right. they, they'd grown to love me and my comedy and the fact that I'm... My comedy is say what I say, mm-hmm. no regrets. I don't take nothing back. So they stuck with me on that. And, you know, that's not all I talk about. There mm-hmm. are many facets to my personality, many facets to who I am. And that's just one of them. No doubt. Know? Um, I want to talk a little bit about Bob Hart's Abishola. Yes. This is a beautiful journey from where you started to being on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Lorre on CBS. This is like, you know, prime, prime, prime stuff. Prime time, Yeah, baby. it's prime time, baby. Yeah. Baby. yeah. Um, can you tell us how the show was created and how you got involved and in, in the origin story? I mean, it's a wonderful story. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful okay. story. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I'm hustling. I'm mm-hmm. making my own specials. I'm trying to get booked in America. I'm working, I'm working. I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm traveling all over the world. I'm, con- I'm on a plane every other week. And I'd, I'd almost become resigned to the fact, you know what? Maybe that's not going to happen for me. Mm. You know, I don't have the look. I'm a little, I'm always been ahead of my time. Mm-hmm. Always been ahead of my time. I've done things and then people have gone, mm, we're not ready. We don't get it. And then five years later, someone comes out doing exactly the same mm. thing and it blows them up. So it's happened to me constant, numerous times 
throughout my career. Well, I've right. just been a little bit too ahead of my time. So I thought, uh, you know, I was resigned to the fact, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to keep hustling, mm-hmm. keep making my specials, mm-hmm. pe- keep putting good content out there. And then, you know, it is what it is. If I get too tired of all this traveling, maybe I'll go into public speaking or whatever. I don't know. So that was what my my thought process was mm-hmm. about a year ago. I'd, I'd just come back from Just for Laughs uh, Comedy Festival in, in Canada. Yeah, right. And I got a call from my agent saying, hey, uh, and I'd had a killer set. I'd, you know, I'd done the gala with Tiffany, had issues, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. she's Shout wonderful, oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful woman. Yeah, she's like awesome. she's always, she was doing this gala and she was like, I want Gina on it. You know, we've yeah. been friends from before and she was like, I want Gina on this gala. I want Gina. And so I got to do this gala with her and it was great. And so I'd had a killer set. So I'd had a really good mm-hmm. festival. Came back and my agent calls me and goes, oh, uh, I just got a call from Warner Brothers. Uh, Chuck Laurie wants to meet you. Mm-hmm. You need to fly over to Lost it because I was living in New York at the time. Fly over to LA and meet Chuck Laurie, and I was like, "Mm, "Chuck Laurie, (laughs) name sounds familiar." (laughs) And my agent was like, "Fuck, put the phone down, Google him, call me back." So obviously I Google him and go, "Oh shit, Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men, Mm -hmm. Grace Under Fire, all that." I was like, "Oh my god!" So I call back and I go, "All right." I'm going to go to LA and meet this guy. And my agent was so excited. My manager was so excited. They were like, oh my God, if he's wanted to meet you. You know, that means he could be wanted to do a show with you. This mm. could be amazing. This could be fun. And they were very excited. Now, normally I've had many meetings like that over the years and they've always led to nothing. So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. so I'm like, yeah, whatever. But with this, because they were so excited, mm. I started to get a little bit, despite myself, I started to get a little bit excited. And uh, so they, they were, he was like, yeah, they're going to fly you over. So I'm like, good. They fly me over first class. And my agent was like, no. No, yeah. no. And I was like, well, no, I've just come back from months on the road. Right. If they want to meet me, want, you know, I, I just Googled Chuck Lorre. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's worth $600 million. He's worth $600 million. He, They can afford first class. So call him back and say, I want first class. Yes. So it went back oh, and forth for a while. Uh, yeah, you know, I know my worth, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing. Know your worth, people. Know your worth. Amen. So then they, they call back. And we're like, all right, we'll fly you first class. So they fly me out to LA. I go to the meeting with them. I walk in the room and it's Chuck Laurie and it's two of the guys, Al Higgins and Eddie Gordetsky, who have helped him create a lot of the shows, Mike and Molly and Kaminsky. <clears throat> so I walk into the room, I sit down uh, and long story short, Chuck is like, okay, so you're wondering why I brought you here? And I'm like, yeah, tell me. And they're like, well, uh, we really love Billy Gardell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From Mike and Molly. Yeah. And I'm right. like, all right, what has this got to do with me? And they're like, uh, so we we really want to make a show with Billy Gardell and we're thinking, and you know, Chuck and Chuck had had this idea, he'd been to Africa and he had an epiphany, he'd met all these beautiful people. And he's like, I want to make another show, not Mike and Molly, but I want it with Billy Gardell, but he falls in love with a, a, a Nigerian immigrant. And I go, okay, interesting. Right. That sounds like a very strange pitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. strange pitch. And I was like, so you want me to play the Nigerian <laughs> And he goes, not necessarily. Yeah. So in my head, I'm like, well, then what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Why the fuck am I doing? What the fuck? In my head. Right, in my right. head. In the room, I was like. I love your yeah. inner voice. Yeah, inner voice. Yeah. In the room, I was like, very interesting. So what would you like me to do? <laughs> right. So they were like, well, we're three white guys. We can't write this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd like to bring you in as a consultant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
in my head, I was like, fucking consultant, you brought me over. So you just want to rip my ideas mm-hmm. of African culture and make a bullshit That's show right. for mm-hmm. CBS? Because I know I knew CBS's reputation when mm-hmm. it comes to diversity. So I was like, oh, this is some bullshit. But in, I didn't say it in the room. In the room, I was like, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did you find me? Now, I'm, I'm expecting, uh, you know, Eddie to say and Al to say, you know, uh, oh, yeah, we... You know, we've seen your specials on Netflix. We saw Def Comedy Jam. We've mm-hmm. seen your work on the, the Daily Show as the British correspondent, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he went, oh, um, we typed into Google Nigerian oh female comics and up he came. And oh, my God. And in my head, I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> in my head, in my head. Okay. Kicking him in the throat. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the room, I was like, oh, interesting. No, so, I just, it just brought me back to Eddie Murphy Raw. Oh he said, God. he said, when you go in the dictionary, it could be a picture of me like. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and th- that, was, you know, they were honest and truthful. Mm-hmm. That that's how they found me. They right. typed into Google, you know, African female comics. And uh, a few of us came up, but obviously I was the best. Oh. <laughs> and they found a set. Was that, that the I, picture yeah. from Google? <laughs> and they found a set that I did while I was mm-hmm. talking I don't know if you've seen this set it was a, it, it was a, Live with Apollo was a UK show funny mm-hmm. enough people think it's the the Harlem the, the Apollo, Apollo Hammersmith yeah it's the right. Apollo Hammersmith which is three times the size of the Harlem Park it's That's a huge right. TV show we do black star shows there yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh you do yeah. well there you go Blood. so it's a huge theatre yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a TV show and it's the biggest stand up comedy show mm-hmm. in the UK and Europe and I did a set there where my mum was in the crowd and I talk about my mum and the mm-hmm. immigrant experience and how my mum was uh, was a hard you know she drove us hard and this and is one of the specials you did yourself no this yeah. was just a TV set a TV, oh, it's wow. a TV show it, yeah right, it was right, a right. TV show okay, I yeah. did the set and it was so funny because I used to get trolled in the UK. All she talks about is being black. All she talks about is being African. All she talk and I used to and it started to get into my head. Mm-hmm. And so when I was about to do that show, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do a straight observational set. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to talk about my African heritage just to prove to these trolls I can do whatever comedy mm-hmm. I want. But then two days before recording the set. I was like, fuck these trolls. Exactly. I'm going to do what the hell I want. Right. So I did my material that I was going to do about my mum. And my mum was in the crowd and mm. I do a routine and my mum just stands up. Yeah, I've seen this. And the whole theatre goes crazy. Wow. And my mum is just like, mm-hmm. yeah. yes, that is me. I am the one. I yeah. am the one. <laughs> so that clip went viral. Mm-hmm. And that was the clip that they found. Can you imagine if I That's hadn't beautiful. done that That's set right. and had just done a regular That's exactly routine, right. I wouldn't be on this TV show now. Stay true to yourself. Stay true so to I yourself. stay true to myself, mm-hmm. stuck with my own instincts. So they found that set. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, Eddie and Al told me the story later where Chuck was like, I want to make this show, African immigrant woman and Billy Gardell. And then he'd come in the room uh, about a week later and, they'd, and Eddie and Al had found that set and they'd had it paused on their mm-hmm. laptop. And Chuck had come in a week later and goes, forget this show, scrap it, because it's not going to work. How are we going to find a female Nigerian comic to help us with <laughs> this thing? I know three. Forget it. That scrap right. the whole idea. And Obviously, then, he's never seen a Nollywood movie. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so then Ellie and I were like, what about this woman? And then they just turned the laptop around and pressed play. And then my set came up and mm. Chuck watched wow. it and laughed and went, was like, Get her over here. That's beautiful. So that's how they came about. So then I originally came in as a consultant. I, I, originally, I said no to it. Mm-hmm. I, went, I left the meeting with them and I yeah, said... because that is a strange pitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. I called my agent yeah. and my manager and I was like, this don't feel right. I'm going to say no. Nah, to tell them thank you, but no thank you. I'm going to say no. But luckily, I've got people around me <laughs> who can tell me when I'm being a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. My brother and my best friend, Lila Rowe is my best friend in the UK and my brother, my younger brother, mm-hmm. Edwin. He's younger than me, but he's way smarter. Mm-hmm. 
And he calls me and he goes, you're my older sister and I have to give you your respect as my older Mm -hmm. uh, sibling in Nigerian culture. But you are one dumb fucking bitch. Take (laughs) the gig. Take the gig. This is a massive opportunity. You're too blinkered on your stand up. Mm -hmm. You don't, you're so blinkered. You don't see opportunities coming you from. You're so blinkered. Yeah. Right. I'm learning so much lingo for her. See, she's going to take that word and put it into her I'm like writing down notes. So blinkered is racehorses, racehorses. They put these leather blinkers on the side of their faces so that they can't see the other horses, so they can only see straight wow. ahead when right. they're when they're racing blinkers. So that's where that comes from. You're so yeah. blinkered, you're looking just <laughs> at what you want to do, but right. you're not seeing opportunities coming right. from left field. And my best friend also rang me up and 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 and, and abused me on the phone for an hour. So I got stereo abuse. I mean, stereo abuse. yeah, it was. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll come in and consult on this show for a few days mm-hmm. and then I'll go about my business. But then once I got in the room with Chuck and Al and Eddie, I realised they were genuine. Mm-hmm. We all kind of fell in love. We were vibing. And then I was like, you know what? This could be an opportunity to make a really good show. Mm-hmm. So then I started picking and ideas. a platform to Nigerian culture. But this is what I'm saying. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to really put my all into this. Even if they only can get, you know, give me a few days of money and then send me on my way, I'm going to give it all. So I started pitching ideas and pitching jokes and pitching characters. You know, I told them about my life, I, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. And, and it, it was going really well. And I could see them kind of looking at each other because I was, right. you know, I listen, I saved right. them a few times because at one point I was like, so what are you going to call the characters? And they were like, well, for Billy Gardell's character, we're going to go with Bob. Mm-hmm. And I go, what about the Nigerian character? And they were like, we're thinking, I don't know, uh, Lupita? No. Oh my God. And I was like, okay, stop, stop, guys. Right, You're right. fucking up already. Stop. <laughs> I was like, right. let me explain something to you. Lupita is Kenyan, number one. Right. She's Kenyan. Different country. She's Kenyan. <laughs> number two, she was born in Mexico. Right. So her parents gave her the name Lupita. Which is a know. Mexican name. Yeah, which is a Mexican. <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee there's not another African on the planet called fucking Lupita. Right. <laughs> so we're not going to go with that. Here's a list of Nigerian names. Mm. I'm going to go with the Yoruba tribe. Uh, I'm going to go, here's a list of Yoruba names mm. and their meanings. Pick one. And that's how we landed wow. on Abishola. So yeah, uh, about a few days in, um, Chuck comes into the room and says, look, uh, forget this consultant thing we'd like you to stay with us and help us create the show. So I was like, great. So then and I it's stayed. like mine from your experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was mining, I was creating characters. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I'm thinking, this is going to be a show on CBS. Mm-hmm. I'm a performer. Yeah, put me in. I don't want to play Abishola. Because they thought I wanted the role of Abishola. Because mm-hmm. Chuck came in at one point. But I was thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I, my dream as a comedian, if you've read any interview with me, my dream has always been to be the best friend on someone else's sitcom. I did uh, I did read that. And when I thought that, I thought of Dave Chappelle's recent special when he was talking about Kevin Hart. And he said, that's a very strange dream for an African person to have. It's <laughs> always been my dream. Yeah. No pressure. I come in, I steal scenes, I bounce, mm-hmm. and I use that mm-hmm. to sell out theatres. Because my first love is stand-up. Always right. will be. So whatever I do on television, whatever, I don't care about being a movie star. I don't want Kevin Hart's career. It's too much scrutiny. See, I don't not, want all that. I'm not Theo, I'm Cockroach. Yeah, I just want to But the best be, friend always yeah. gets, bo- gets steals the scenes. Yeah, Everyone I want to be the, the friend, friend, come in, do my da-da-da-da. Right. And then use that to sell out theatres and arena. Right. That was always been my dream. So when we started writing the show, I was like... I started pitching different characters mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? Abishola needs a confidant, a mm-hmm. friend that she can go and talk to about this white guy chasing her. Mm-hmm. And so the character became Woman on the Bus. She, my character had no name. It was just called Woman on the Bus. Then halfway through, 
uh, Chuck comes in and goes, uh, all right, we're going to start casting this. CBS are interested in making this pilot. If you want the role of Abishola, you're going to have to audition mm-hmm. with the other actors. And I turned to Chuck and I was like, I don't want the role of Abishola, Chuck. I want woman on the woman bus. On woman the on the bus. bus. Mm-hmm. And Chuck looked at me and he went, you're very fucking smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and that's how it became wow. the show. It became, and we 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 cast a wonderful mm. actress for mm-hmm. Lake Oluwafo Yeku to play. She's yeah, she's really good. Phenomenal. Yeah, the cast is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I saw. Um, I mean, you have Chuck Lorre. He has access to. Yeah, but the thing is, it's, it's so funny because he has the access, but you never, you know, you're not aware of all these Ni- this Nigerian talent out oh, there. Right, in the right, yeah. So we auditioned some wonderful people, and I made sure I sat in the audition room. Amen. So that when these actors came into audition room, they see this face mm-hmm. and they know it's not bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's this right. Is, this is a good project. So I made sure mm-hmm. I was there. I saw uh, Shola Adewusu, who plays Auntie Olu. I saw her on Chewing Gum. Mm-hmm. And I remember <laughs> thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a show about my life and I want her to play my mum. So then when the right. role of Auntie Olu was coming up, I said to Chuck and the guys, look at this woman, Shola mm-hmm. Adewusu uh, on Chewing Gum. Get her to audition. And she was in England. She's mm-hmm. British, Nigerian, like me. She auditioned in England. She blew it out of the water. And that's how she got on the show. And so, yeah. And it's that's great. It's You're providing beautiful... opportunities for uh, people. Yeah. That must feel it's awesome. Wonderful. It's so wonderful. So many gems you've dropped. So many lessons. You Please. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Nigerians are like, you know, over the moon about it. The show's doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, the ratings are going up. You know, people are loving it, which is wonderful. Because the first you see it and you go, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this weird name? Yeah. What is this? It's odd, and so people are finding it. It's taken longer, yeah, but it's it's rising nicely, and people are finding it and falling in love with it. The interesting thing about this story to me is that you know Chuck Lorre is this rich, privileged white man who's you know has all this power, mm-hmm. and so to see a show on mainstream television, um, the first gut feeling I have is like, okay, well, that's a brave choice for him, but. Is it brave for him? It's it's I don't think it's brave. I don't think brave is the right word. When I when I hear your story and I think about the preconceived notions I have of someone like him and 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 you've confirmed some of them when you walk in the room and they're like, it's Lupita and mm-hmm. you've, you've confirmed some of this thing. Um brave is not the right word because he doesn't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. He won't be any less rich if True. the show happens, right? He but but he didn't have to one. do it. But and that's what so the and, word. You know, so I see him as a visionary almost. Well, in that he takes these risks and he's like, well, we'll try it. And he loves the project. I agree. I think the word is commendable. Mm. Like mm. I, I shift around because I, as brave, I'm like, I don't know if that's brave, but it's certainly commendable. It's commendable that he would stop and look at the world around him and be like, something's missing. Let me try it. Let me ch- attempt. And his willingness to learn. Let me attempt to provide And the fact that he brought me in. Because mm-hmm. the arrogance of, you know, somebody like that mm-hmm. would be forgiven for being arrogant and going, I'm Chuck Lorre. I can make anything. I've made a show about a bunch of phys- physicists, mm-hmm. a massive hit, mm-hmm. a bunch of nerds. I can do anything. Right. And he could have been arrogant and gone, you know what? We can write this. Mm-hmm. We can write this. But the fact that he was able to look outside himself. Mm-hmm. And go, no, mm-hmm. and be that self-aware to go, no, we need somebody from that background yeah. to make sure we get this right. Extremely right. commendable. That's and right. I'm forever grateful to him for doing that because he has changed my life. No doubt. Because, you know, I am now a co-creator of a primetime sitcom mm-hmm. on, t- on television mm-hmm. in America. I'm a producer on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm a writer on the wow. show. I, you know, there's no, you know, I'm making sure that uh, as it's as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm acting on the show. Yeah. I mean, wow. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, we had Anthony Anderson on, and uh, he has a show on black, blackish oh, on, on ABC, love which is also has a similar issues to CBS and they're owned by Disney. And, yep. you know, um, and we talked about, about with him tackling progressive issues and tackling uh, controversial issues within this frame of mainstream, you know, primetime television. Um, have y'all run into any issues with that? You know what? It, it's wonderful working in the Chuck universe. Mm -hmm. Wonderful because we don't get the network notes. Mm -hmm. A lot of sitcoms get destroyed by the network executives coming in and going, well, we think you should do this. And I, I don't know if you, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you can use the word mm -hmm. booty scratch. Get a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Whereas because of Chuck's wonderful track record, mm -hmm. they leave us alone. Okay. Wow. So we can handle issues. I mean, there are, there are some scenes in our show that have upset people. Right. Because we're talking about stuff that has never been really talked about outside of the black community. That's usually like there was a scene that caused a lot of issues where uh, the the three ladies, you know, Gloria, Kemi, Abishola are talking about the hierarchy of mm. men. And Kemi's like, yeah, top of the list, African man, same tribe. Niger, you know, Nigerian man, same mm -hmm. tribe. Then Nigerian man, other tribe. Then other Africans, except Tunisians. Cause, and then, <laughs> you know, right. and then Caribbean men. Mm -hmm. And then white men. Mm -hmm. And then African-American men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wrote it in such, because these are old school. That's right. Divisive beliefs that were fed. That's right. To us. And we need to address them. By, yeah. Especially yeah. to comedy. By white supremacy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we addressed it. And I made sure that when I wrote that scene, I made sure that Gloria, who's the African-American character, had a strong comeback. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, when we're writing this scene, I said, Kemi could not just say this stuff mm -hmm. and Gloria just sit there and take it. She's got to have a strong comeback. Mm -hmm. We've got to make sure that this is a balanced argument mm -hmm. so we can see both sides of it and you can see that I'm not just trying to denigrate a group of people, but mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do is show the the thought processes and 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 show the misinformation that we've been fed right. as black people about each other so it because can be because Africans have always been fed the the disinformation that African Americans are, are criminal mm -hmm. they're lazy mm -hmm. they don't work as hard they have no culture they have no work ethic that and we were fed the same thing about Caribbeans mm -hmm. then African Americans and Caribbeans were fed the thing about Africans how they they're animalistic they're mm -hmm. tribalistic they're they're the heathens they're mm -hmm. this that and the other and that they think they're better than, than uh, you know, their mm -hmm. African-American and Caribbean counterparts. So there's that been that discord mm -hmm. between us forever. And these are some of the things that we were trying to cover in that. So when I did that hierarchy of men, these are thoughts that have actually been expressed mm -hmm. within the African community. That's not how I think because I'm younger and I'm much more, f you know, woke. Mm -hmm. I hate using that word because mm -hmm. it's been overused, but I am. But these are thoughts that have been expressed. And so... My character is of that generation. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was brought up. But we made sure that Gloria came back with a strong comeback saying that this is, this is white supremacy speaking. This mm -hmm. is, you know, it, it's, it's, you've been fed this information. And when you get stopped by the police, they're not seeing African Caribbean. That's they're right. seeing this. Yeah. That's right. And, and that was her comeback. And I thought it was a very strong comeback. I did too. And then even to, to further try and show that the, the Africans way of thinking was wrong. My character said, well, the whole baby mama thing, that's what they say about you guys on Fox News. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying we, we get our information from Fox News, mm -hmm. which everybody knows 
is, is spreading lies and disinformation. Mm-hmm. So from my character says that I'm saying we are misinformed. That's right. My characters are misinformed by saying these things. That's right. But people got very upset about it. They didn't see the nuance of it. They didn't. Well, it got weaponized by people who, who had ill intent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to me, if you're someone who has ever seen a TV sitcom or ever seen a comedy show, you understand the context of which, but you're right, that clip got rep- weaponized by people who are seeking to cause uh, uh, dissension and divide between yeah. native born American people and African exactly, people because and they, people they, from they London. They cut out. Yeah. The whole context. They cut out the glorious comeback, mm-hmm. but only showed my character doing mm-hmm. this. Yep. And cut out the rest of it. Yeah, that's done very much on purpose. Yeah, and it felt like they mm-hmm. you, they were doing the, using the same tactics that the far right use. That's exactly right. Eyes. It was because the same a tactics. lot of those people are funded by the far right. When you see anonymous <laughs> accounts doing that, that's what they're doing. Um, now, you spent some time living in Brooklyn. You spent some time living in Los Angeles. Yes. On the Netflix TV show Stand Up. Um, I really enjoyed your performance oh, on thank that. Thank you, thank um, you. When you came out, you came out to Afro Puffs by Lady yeah. of Rage. One of my faves. Big fan, <laughs> big fan of Lady of Rage. Big um, fan of women in hip hop. No doubt. You know, Missy Elliott, the brat, the, you know, Moni Love. I'm just Shout a big out fan. to Moni Love. Moni, Moni got to come do this show. My fellow Brit. Moni, you're supposed to be the first British person on this show. And yeah. we've had like three now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but Estelle, yeah. Estelle, obviously, Estelle was bringing Shout out know, to Estelle, yeah. Um, talk to me about your love for hip hop and how hip hip hop informs your comedy. Oh man, uh, look, I've uh, been a fan of hip hop from early teenage days. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Soul to Soul used to play yeah, Jazzy B. Shout out yeah, to Jazzy, Jazzy, Karen Jazzy Wheeler. B. Soul to Soul, Karen Wheeler. That's my girl. No doubt. Uh, they used to play uh, the Fridge Club, which is the big a big mm-hmm. club in South London. They used to play there. They had a residency there for mm-hmm. years uh, in the sort of. Uh, late 80s early 90s in, mm. in London and you go there and you'd, you'd be doing the running man for seven hours straight <laughs> to all the hip hop so you know I, and that's where I used to go there every week and that was my I had blonde funky dreads mm. the little round glasses funky dreads that's yeah what, that's what funky dreads I, I was all about that right. and I was listening you know I was listening to everything Big Daddy Kane mm-hmm. was one of my favourites you know Africa Bambata mm-hmm. like Old school, that I'm an old school hip hop mm-hmm. head. That's my, that yeah. I don't really know that much about the stuff because I can't understand the rap now. Okay. I, I sound like an old lady. When Do you I like Stormzy? I love Stormzy. Okay. I love our British. I love yes. the fact that we've got our own voice because originally when British rappers tried to do rap, they were kind of emulating the American style yeah. mm-hmm. of rap. And sometimes they rapped an American accent and it's like, that's, you know, I understand why they did it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really a yeah, thing. Yeah. And I love how the grime and the, or the skepta, all those guys. Right that they got their own unique sound mm-hmm. and they're doing their own thing, their own beats. And, you know, and people are feeling it. Mm-hmm. you got Drake trying to collaborate and you've got all these different people collaborating because <laughs> right. we've got our own sound. And I love how Nigerian music, what African music oh, is. Oh, yeah. We're taking it's over. Really, it's beautiful. Uh, hey, Afro beats is killing you can't it. Do, I, you know, I DJ a little bit. You cannot do a party. Without Afro. Now without Afro. Nah, you got to oh. drop a Kid. you got to drop a mm-hmm. Burner Boy, you got to drop a David Oak, you got to do all of that. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I love it. It's a beautiful no thing. Ladies and gentlemen, mm. a wonderful guest on the People's Party. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.